Welcome to the Marketing Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Barker, and I've been talking with Greg Poirier, the founder and president of Cloud Kettle. In my previous episode, Greg discussed how he innovated and grew Cloud Kettle. He also shared his insights into enterprise sales and marketing. In this episode, I'm going to talk to Greg about how important it is for companies to find the right product market fit. We'll also talk about revenue audits, and Greg will give the verdict on internal versus external audits. And you, you had touched on something that I, that I kind of want to talk about a little bit is talking about a product market fit, right? Because that, that is, that's obviously a big deal with you have very thin margins. You need to make sure that your product and your market are fitting, right? And you don't have a lot of money to, you don't have Salesforce money to, or whatever, not Salesforce, but you don't have, you know, you know, a billion dollars just to go see, try all kinds of stuff. And maybe we'll see if it works. And, you know, you just keep trying to go and it's like, Hey, you want, you know, $2,000. Great. Then you need to tell me exactly what you're doing and how much money that brought back to you. So I want to talk about the, the concept of the product market fit, because it sounds like you've had a lot of experience with that. Like, what is, what do you think about that? I mean, give me some, some intel, some expertise on that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm a B2B SaaS guy who's been around for a long time. So I'm a big believer in product market fit because if you grew up in the ecosystem I did, that's just drilled into you yeah. day in and day out. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a real thing. And a lot of people don't buy into it as aggressively as maybe I would, but I buy into it really aggressively because I've had the blessing and the curse of I worked at Radiant 6 and we had product market fit when I started working there and I saw that ride. And at the time in my brain, it was just like, wow, B2B SaaS is easy. Like, you know, we just <laughs> do this marketing stuff and it's complicated. Like it takes a lot of like human brains, but this is pretty incredible. Like people are just phoning us and buying stuff. We're like, you know, this is magic. <laughs> life is good. And then yeah. life is good. Uh, and then I went to two B2B SaaS companies after that. And we fundamentally did not have product market fit. <laughs> and we did not achieve product market fit. And that was an eye opener of like, oh, this is actually very, very difficult. This is and real world. This is real world. And it's hard to describe for somebody who hasn't been part of a company that had market product market fit and then part of a company that didn't. But it is a very real thing. Um, and, you know, it's the difference between the phone ringing and people asking to buy stuff and phoning a bunch of people and then tell them telling you to go away because the thing that you're selling doesn't add value for them. Um, you know, there's, a, there's a lot of in between if you've not quite hit product market fit, which is where most companies are, but yeah, it's, it's a very real thing. Yeah. I think it, and it always takes that contrast, right? It's either a, you had a company that didn't have product market fit and you go to somebody else and you're like, God, I just, I can't even answer the phone. Every time I answer the phone, I'm selling something and they want it. That's amazing. Right. And then the other side of it, you're like, wow, I was, why aren't the phones ringing? Like, what are you like? You got to go work. And like the phones don't just naturally ring and I just pick them up and make money. You're like, no, I said, okay, well then we got to figure that out. So how do you think product market fit of like affects like early on, like the maturity and evolution of organizations early on? Like, what do you think? I mean, I know my opinion on that, but obviously I think I know what your opinion is, but what do you, what do you think of that? Well, I mean, I, I before I start in on this, I want to be clear having product market fit is amazing. And I'm about to say some bad things about it, but in no way does that mean you should not strive for it because you definitely want to have it. But yeah. there are some there are some ills that come along with it, uh, so to speak. And, um, you know, Shashir Marota, 
was on the uh, Master Scale podcast, Reed Hoffman, talking about this and did a far better job at describing it um, than I did, but really described it as having a heavy tailwind. And when you have that super heavy tailwind of product market fit, you get over a bunch of bumps in the road and a lot of other stuff that would normally stop a company um, dead in the water. And, you know, we we look at clients and a lot of our clients hit product market fit insanely early and they're very fortunate in that. But what can often happen at a company like that is they don't learn how to execute on sales and marketing properly. Mm. And in particular, you know, marketing, because they don't really have to generate demand. So they're not getting um, measured on generating demand. They tend to go very brand. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's nothing wrong with brand marketing, but it should not be your entire, uh, marketing strategy. And in the context of those sales teams, they never really learn how to fight for the dollar because the phone is just ringing and they, they become a team of order takers. And again, we should all be so blessed, but what happens when that does occur is that you don't learn how to do the hard stuff. So in a normal company that takes a while to hit product market fit, you end up with a marketing team who never has enough money um, because the company's not well-funded. They're not bringing in tons of revenue. So th- again, they have to fight for every dollar. They have to justify every dollar. They have to measure everything and they have to demonstrate a return on investment. And it makes them very, very good at marketing. And it makes them very good at optimization. And it makes it very good at generating um, pipeline, and and because of those, because of that, like those trials and tribulations, those marketing teams are really well set up for that move into enterprise and that move into really sophisticated marketing operations world, and that move to power a very quickly growing sales machine. And on the sales side, you have something very similar where you know if. Everybody who goes to the website is filling out a contact us form and you as an SDR just have to phone them up and they tell you that they want to buy some stuff. It gets routed to an AE and that AE just becomes an order taker. Well, your sales team is really not well prepared for the world of enterprise sales where they now have to uh, you know, put together a group of coordinated buyers at an organization that might require six to 10 people to execute on enterprise sale. And that sales process might take 12 or 18 months. Um, those salespeople who become order takers at those companies with perfect product market fit tend to be ill-prepared for that. And the culture at those organizations is not well attuned to it. So a lot of the time we see these companies decide they're going to go up market and they want to go enterprise. And you know, we explain, okay, well, look, this is a thing that takes a long time. And you're going to hire these enterprise salespeople and they're going to have a great, you know, resume on this. Um, but they need a really big sophisticated machine behind them to make these gears whirl. And also it's going to take them six months before you, they bring you a sale and 12 months before they're bringing you reliable sales. And are you sure you have the patience to wait for that? And you know, those, those companies say, sure, of course we are. We're not idiots. We've, you know, we read all the books you read. We know what's going on. But come month three, when they're paying that sales team all that money, they start to lose that patience really quickly. And the best of the best don't, but it's very hard not to when, you know, they're looking at their SMB sales team who are turning inquiries online into dollars in the bank on a 15-day turnaround. Then they're looking at these three people that they recruited from 
Salesforce and Oracle or wherever who have not generated any sales, but are making the highest sales salaries of the organization. And they've been plowing money into them for three months and flying them all over North America. Um, it is hard to hold the line and keep the faith and the belief and the patience to know that you have to wait another six months to see that payback. And once it happens, it's magical. Yeah. Um, but only the best of those leadership teams fully can commit to that mentally. Yeah, because that is, that's a commitment. I mean, you're looking to say, hey, if you want to scale, this is what you need to do. And, and on paper, it's fine. Hey, yeah, six months, a year, it's not a problem. We can wait. But when you, all of a sudden you see seeing the checks, the big checks going out each month, each month, and you're like, man, so what happens if they don't bring in sales in, in 12 months? You're like, that doesn't look good. Right. And yeah. it's like that thing of like, hey, they're out there working. We're, you know, taking everybody out to steak dinners and they're on their little private jets or whatever they got going on. The money's going out for sure. Relationships are being created. We have, you know, new leads put in Salesforce. We can see the notes. But like, what are we doing? Like, you know, when is when is it going to when the road meets the pavement or when the tire meets the pavement? That's when, you know, when the money comes in, you're like, OK, fine. Now now everybody can, can sleep again and, you know, and, you know, and work on their relationship with their with their wife, probably at that point, because they're probably losing their mind in, in their in their house and a little stressed out about the situation. So I get it. I get it. So another thing I want to touch on with you is is like revenue operations, because obviously you, you've worked at, you know, um, you've worked in an organization once again with very, very thin margins and looking at, you know, once again, what money that's being spent in the money that's coming in and, and what are we looking at there in regards to you know, and you've worked at organizations that you just, people are just turning it, you know, sales, high price sales, people turn into just order takers because the phone's just ringing off the hook and it's super easy. And then the other side of it, Hey, now you've got to grind this thing out. It's a lot different than just answering the phone. You got to learn how to do that. So what, like, what is a, re like for you, what is a revenue operations audit and why is it important to an organization? Like what, in, because in what you've done in your past? Yeah. So um, I guess to kind of set the stage, so to speak for, almost all of our clients, um, we do an audit of their revenue operations system prior to us engaging for that 12 month retainer. And, and really, you know, we, we call that the dating project. So, Hey, uh, you probably want to do something with us before you commit for 12 months. And here's what we're going to do. Um, you know, uh, it's a paid engagement and we're going to come in and it's probably going to take six weeks and we are going to go through your entire revenue operations platform end to end. So, you know, everything from, uh, you know, your demand gen and data warehouse through to your marketing um, automation platform through to Salesforce, like what is your lead to cash platform of systems and, and how do they work? And we're going to audit those for you in a very, very deep way. And, you know, that takes about six weeks for us to deliver that document. And it's, it's a very hefty, you know, depends on what the engagement is, but, you know, 60, 80, 90, hundred pages uh, long. And, and from that, that's, that is, here's your roadmap of what you as a, um, you know, CRO or CMO uh, need to pursue for the next 12 or 18 months based on what you've told us your, you know, your mandate is um, for that period of time. And for many of those CMOs, I mean, an 18 month mandate is their life cycle. Like the average tenure of a CMO is probably less than 18 months now. I think it's something <laughs> like 16 months. Yeah. So we're providing that roadmap of, hey, Here's what you need to do from a systems perspective to hit your numbers for the next 18 months. And this is what that looks like. And the reason um, it's usually a big eye opener for most of these organizations is if you're growing really quickly, your systems and processes are never keeping pace, pace with your growth. So, mm -hmm. you know, most of the time when we're brought in to do these audits, it's, it's one of 
two things. So the first is that there's a new CRO or CMO. They've usually been brought in because there's a mandate from the board or from the founders that the company needs to do things a new way. So they're, they're, there's a change in leadership. And um, that new person's going to come in with a, probably a more enterprise set of expectations around the, how, how the company is going to be one, uh, run. The other is that the company, and sometimes these go hand in hand, the company has hit what we call a stair-step moment. So they have just closed a series C. They are prepping to IPO or they have just IPO'd. And there's a whole series of systems that have to change as the result of that type of growth. So, hey, it was great that you built this and this is how you decided to route leads in Salesforce when you had four SDRs. Um, but now you have 30 SDRs and a person's whole job now is routing leads. And that doesn't make sense. There's a machine that can do that. Or, hey, you know, it made sense that somebody would go pull all this data into spreadsheets when you guys were a little smaller, but now that's probably a whole BI team's job. And here's how you're going to do that moving forward. And by the way, instead of getting this data as a CRO once a month, you can now get it in real time. And that's very doable. And you can have that in three months. And this is how that's going to work. So it's really... What is what are those goals that they have? What is that mandate they've been given as a leadership team? And then what is the roadmap to get them there? And how do we future-proof those systems? So in general, we're not building those systems for this is what your system needs to look like 12 months from now. At your pace of growth, we have to build it for this is what that system needs to look 24 months from now because by the time you replace it again and re-up in 24 months on what you're doing, um, this will be outdated at the pace you're growing. I, and I, and what's interesting, you know, it's funny. So we call it a revenue audit. It, it, the thing is, it means really you're just doing a health check on the business, right? To say, hey, the, to be able to scale it and be able to get to this next level where you need to be, what do you need to do? What, what processes need to be to place to make the foundation stronger? And you just take a look at that and look at the things that need to be improved and the things that need to be changed and more people need to be brought on or you need to bring less people on or whatever that is, probably more people on. Um, but is there, is there a right or a wrong time to, to do a, a revenue audit? I mean, I'm, I'm li listening to that and I'm thinking, I think there's probably a right time, but it, like, when is that? I mean, for most of our clients, the right time is when there is an appetite and a mandate for some kind of change. So, mm -hmm. hey, if you're mid-tenure CRO and the board is not pressing for a big change and you're hitting all your numbers and you're growing at you know a nice little pace, but not crazy, um, probably not the right time. Uh, because usually our audit is going to uncover a bunch of stuff that means fundamental shifts are going to have to occur in the business. Um, like, hey, you need to really focus on not your SDR operation. It makes a lot of sense to move to this concept of BDRs and you're going to move outbound and this is how you're going to do that. And um, you need to establish this new, um, better non-self-serve process. And this is how you can do that. And this is how sales are going to work at this level, et cetera. And you know, if you don't have that mandate for change, we're not a good investment because realistically, you're not, even if you want to, you won't have the political capital to make it happen. Um, so again, it goes back to either new leadership with a new mandate or some kind of stair-step moment in the company. And that's the point at which people understand change has to happen. People have the political capital to make that change. Um, and, and then you can move forward with it. But if you don't have that, it's, it's just not a good investment. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. You have somebody above you that's saying, hey, listen, I know this is going to suck. This might be uncomfortable, but we need to make some changes and this is what we need to do. And we're, I'm not really asking you, I'm telling you what needs to happen. And so now we need somebody that's going to help us 
consult us or mentor us to get us to that next level. And this might be above what you know. And so we're going to look at somebody to help you come in and, and evaluate your processes and see what we need to do to improve things. So, I mean, I love that. I mean, obviously, I think there's a lot of organizations that do need that, right? Because we get to a certain point, And that's the reason why a lot of times when you get capital, they replace your CEO or they replace somebody in there, or whatever that may be, is because like, hey, you've taken it to this level and you're awesome. But guess what? To take it to this next level, we're either going to need what's a consulting firm or somebody of the higher level of expertise or a better network or whatever that is to be able to take it to the next level. And that's, you know, sometimes that's a hard pill to, fall, to swallow for, you know, for people that own companies and say, hey, listen, I can do this. And sometimes they can. And sometimes it's like, hey, we're going to bring in a consulting firm and it, it shouldn't be a bad thing because you're, you're bringing on people that have the knowledge to be able to take it to the next level. So I love that. What, when, when, I mean, is there a time, I'm trying to think about if there's like, what are the factors for um, that an organization should consider? Like if they're doing like either an internal or an external audit, like what's, because obviously, I, you know, the issue is I would think, oh, I, I think we've got it. We'll do an internal audit. And at what point do you, I mean, other than a mandate, obviously, which makes sense, do, yeah. do you realize, hey, maybe I need an external lot. I need some, I need some other set of eyeballs on this thing to, to be able to make it happen. So, I mean, internal audits are possible. They just usually aren't very effective because yeah. you have the person, a, a person is ill-equipped to usually spot what they're doing wrong. Um, but also they generally just don't have the breadth of experience to understand what the possible is. And you know, the benefit of bringing in a third party is hopefully if you choose the right third party, you're bringing in a company who is already doing this at a whole bunch of other companies that look like you. And yeah. so they can come in and fundamentally understand this is what best looks like. This is what good looks like. And this is the reasonable expectation of investment that you should make in these systems and platforms at your stage. This is what you need to prepare for 12 months from now based on all the other companies we've worked with that were at the same stage as you. So you just, it's very hard to do that internally. Sometimes you can do it a little bit when you bring a new person in, um, because you know if you bring somebody in who's worked at a company that's much more sophisticated, they'll have some ability to say, okay, well, at least at my last company, we were doing X, Y, Z, and we're not doing that here. And that's not good. Clearly we should have those systems in place, but you can't do that across an entire revenue stack. Um, so generally it has to be somebody from outside because, you know, companies like cloud kettle have that ability to look at it and say, okay, look, we're working with 10 other SaaS companies who are just slightly ahead of you from a stage perspective. And these are the pain points they're experiencing. This is how you're going to avoid that. And this is where you're going to build those systems and how you're going to like skip over, um, those hurdles. And you just, you can't do that internally. It's very difficult. Well, and you have to assume if if you do an internal audit, then you're only going to figure out the stuff that you already know, like for the most part, right? Like nobody internally is going to go, Hey, I just read this book last night. And I think we're going to go change everything because of the internal audit we just ran. And this is what we need to do. I mean, you're really tapping into somebody. What I'm going to love what you said. It's like, I have 10 other organizations that I'm working with. They're just slightly ahead of you. And we just went through that road bump with them three months ago. And so it's like, I know how to get through that. And this is what we need to do. And so you're really tapping into the expertise of saying, hey, listen, like you guys are at this point, congratulations. Now we need to get to, you know, you got more series B or series C or whatever, got more funding. And now we need to take you from your $10 million mark to your $100 million mark to your IPO type situation. Yeah. So and, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, there's also that ability to um, just architect and deploy solutions more efficiently. So it, if you work at a company and that is, 
the only Salesforce org you work in, or the only Marketing Cloud org you work in, or the only Google Analytics org you work in, every time you need to build something, you need to figure out how to do that from scratch. And if you're working with a third party like Cloud Kettle, and we work with a lot of other clients in your industry, we've already figured out how you solve all those problems from an architectural and a technology perspective. We might have to help you on the cultural perspective and the selling it internally perspective and some other things. But how you do that from a mechanics perspective, we already know, and we already have it up and running at a bunch of other places. And we can slot that in for you, maybe in 30 days, and for you to build it and test it and figure it out, noodle it around internally, maybe that's going to take 120 days. And that, if you're growing fast enough, that just doesn't make sense. Yeah, no, I love that. And that's the other thing too, and you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier about, um, about you know, you talk about doing that audit. And obviously that audit, from what you're saying, it makes total sense, is really kind of like a roadmap, right? You get this audit of saying, hey, these are the things that you guys need to improve upon. You feel like you can do it yourself. Awesome, but there's probably a reason why you reach out to us and there's a reason why we did the audit. And here goes the things where you're strong, here goes the things where you're weak, and here goes the things you absolutely need to start fixing tomorrow. So I love that. I love the fact that you guys do that. We do something similar in a different space, but SEO, you know, we'll go and do an evaluation of somebody's website and say, hey, this is where things are strong. This is where they're not strong. This is where your competition's crushing you. These are the different things you need to do. Um, and I think it's valuable because then people, then, you know, it's always, you know, and you understand this, it's, it helps them get to that next step, right? Because it's like, hey, yeah, you want me to spend $250,000? Well, I bet you do. And you're like, so let me do an audit and tell you, so you know, I know what I'm talking about and I can tell you where you're strong and where you guys need to be more effective. And then we can, you know, once again, that will tell you, hey, you can take this roadmap and try to do it yourself. But if you guys knew this and you guys would already be able to do it, right? You don't know that. And here, guys, tap into our expertise. And so um, I love that. And you have obviously the, the long, and I'll tell you right now, man, you, you know, I'm not saying you're not a hard worker, but you're, you're lucky, man. You've had a quite the trajectory in the companies that you've worked with. And, and you kept saying you were lucky. And I, I mean, not that once again, not that you weren't doing any hard work as you were. But it's like, I don't know if you could have like jumped on with any better companies and, and you know, be able to open and be in charge of a consulting firm that once again, has the knowledge because you, you've actually seen it yourself and now you're helping your clients with that. So I, I love that, man. I love that. Congratulations on all that. So I did want to talk to you. So I talk about, and I, I always say this in the podcast, we call this the, the fun section. Um, these are questions that are outside of the scope of what we just talked about. Um, and I, and I, every time I say this, I, I would like to think that, that the fun section was these these earlier talks too. Like we, I, hopefully that we were, we were definitely dancing right around fun. I think even dancing in the circle of fun uh, a few times, but what I want to find out something about like, did you, do you read a lot of books or do you do podcasts or what's your, what's your thing? Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I read a lot of books. So for me, the podcasts are walk to work, which is mm -hmm. usually about 40, 45 minutes walk home. Um, and then the, uh, reading, you know, every night when I go to bed, I probably read for about 30, 45 minutes. That's kind of my wind down. Um, so I, I'd say it's pretty even between podcasts and books and the podcasts tend to be very uh, numbers focused. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, things like planet money, things, things about numbers uh, mm -hmm. I enjoy and things about business and money without being pure, you know, business podcasting. Um, sometimes I'll listen to a lot of that at work, but I tend not to in my wind down period. Yeah. Uh, you know, you just got to decompress at some point. And then the reading again, not a big business book guy. I'll do a lot of audio books and the business stuff that I'll listen to, like I'll hammer through three or four audio books on a flight. Uh, but I won't 
usually do that in, in my walk to work or wherever I'm trying to, you know, decompress. So when I'm reading, it's usually some kind of fiction. So what kind of, what's your, what's uh, some good business, your favorite books? Uh, my absolute favorite book is a book called the adventures of Cavalier and clay, uh, American author, really fantastic kind of a very long novel that probably would be an amazing comic book and is, is about, um, comics in general. That is my all time favorite novel. I, I really, really love that book, uh, which not surprising, you know, comic book nerd growing up, read a lot of Spider-Man. Uh, so that, that's certainly my favorite, um, favorite non uh, business book. And, you know, other than that, I'm reading a lot of detective novels right now. So a little dark, a little gritty, but still a, a good wind down at the end of the day. And then on the business side, uh, usually it's an audio book, but lately um, certainly I really loved um, the grit. If anybody um, is looking for a great listener read grit is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as a, great but oldie um the challenger sale i consider to be the finest uh sales book out there and you know people get very passionate and religious about sales books uh but i i consider and trust me i've read them all you have to if you're in my line of business it's expected because people will keep asking you about them yeah. uh but i consider the challenger sale really to be the best one out there well and we'll put we'll put those uh put those books in the show notes too because it's always nice to to get good recommendations. I do this. I ask for my audience but for myself as well. I'm always looking to do new stuff. It's funny like outside of business books, I I've gotten into this and I'm going to say dark world of like motorcycle gangs. Like I've read more motorcycle gang books which is the weirdest because I don't ride drive a motorcycle. I I haven't been in a gang for at least 2 years now. Um and it's just the weirdest thing. I'm like into these like and my wife said, "What are you reading?" I'm like, "Oh, about the, you know, the Mongols and the, and the, you know, all this. And she's like, what are you, do you, are you going to go get a leather jacket? And I'm like, maybe, I don't know. I'm maybe going to start a gang or something like that. I don't, you got to be careful. Don't talk back to me. I mean, I might, I might be in a gang here soon. I'm, I'm a grown man here. I got a full beard and everything. So anyways, yeah, I don't, I don't know why that is. It was, I don't know how I even got pulled into that, but I just started doing that, that in gangs. I don't, once again, I don't know. It's kind of weird, but it is, it's, it's different than the self-help, the different than business and everything like that. So this is going to be an interesting question for you. I, I love this. It, if you could have dinner with three people and that could be dead or alive, obviously you know, without COVID and all the other fun stuff, who would it be? Who would you have at your table? Um, I mean, I'll start with dead. So certainly I would go with my grandmother on that one. Mm-hmm. I mean, she lived across the street from me growing up way smarter than, you know, obviously I was and had traveled more than obviously I did and uh, just had a really great world point of view. And, turned out to be right on a lot of stuff that I didn't get when I was 19 and 20. But, you know, now that I'm 42 and I've got kids and like, holy hell, uh, you know, she just really nailed a lot of stuff. So that would be number one, you know, on the alive, uh, certainly Bill Gates. Um, I, I mean, he would be top of my list. Uh, and I don't know if you listen to the Bill Gates, Rashida Jones podcast, but it is fantastic. And, you know, being a tech, spent a lot of time in San Francisco. Certainly Microsoft has been, uh, you know, maligned and, uh, you know, in many ways you were team Apple or team Microsoft. And certainly I, I, I don't know how many dollars worth of Apple stuff is in this house right now, but clearly our house turned out to be team Apple house, but <laughs> you know, over time after he left Microsoft and what he's done with his money and how he's expending all his efforts with Melinda and what they're doing together, 
you know, he's turned out to be, I think the more brilliant one. Um, and him, he and his wife are doing more to impact and change the world than I think any other business leader. Um, they, they figured it out. Like they, they understood what was important and they're having a material change that I don't think most people understand. I think you have to listen to his podcast. You'd, ha- you'd have to understand what um, their charity is doing and mm-hmm. how Melinda is running that charity. But like he's having a bigger impact, I think, on what's happening on earth right now than any other business leader. And yes, it's two people together. Like they're doing it jointly. So I, yeah. I guess you have to say two business leaders, but they, I mean, no, nobody is doing it at the level they are. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll have to listen to the podcast. I know they're they're doing big things. They've got a lot of money and can make some some big changes. So that's that's awesome. And then who is your? We'll put we'll put Bill and uh, we'll put them together as one person. What's who is your third person? Uh, well, I would say Melinda is my third person, but it you know assuming that they are a joint offering and I get to go have dinner with both of them, uh, I, I would say Mark Benioff. I mean, mm. you know, I've Salesforce. been standing very close to him at concerts, and uh, you know, I've you know, been in the ecosystem for a long time, but yeah, I, I would just like to sit down and have a beer and a cheeseburger and just talk. Yeah. 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 Why not? Yeah. You got a nice little solid group. I'll tell you, you know, it's funny. You said grandmothers, you know, when you're 18 and 19, we were all thick headed at that point. You know, I mean, my grandma, I remember her telling me stuff. I'm like, I know grandma, I know. And, you know, not blowing her off by any means, but just kind of like, I, you know, thanks. I'll listen to that. And, 90% of the stuff that she tells me or told me, you know, and I look at it and I go, man, that was a smart woman. Boy, she definitely, I should, I listened because I, 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 you know, later on it, I made, it made sense to me, but I should have like wrote it down and been like, okay, I, if I followed this, there's probably going to be some road bumps that I could avoid if I just listened to grandma. But um, that's awesome, man. So, hey, you know, I was excited about having you on, on the podcast today. This, is, this has been awesome. If anybody wants to get in contact with you and find more about Cloud Kettle, how do they do it? Uh, the best thing to do is just to go to cloudkettle.com. You know, there's a contact form. If you fill it out, somebody will somehow circulate that to me. Uh, you know, otherwise you can find me on Twitter as at Greg Poirier and similar um, at Greg Poirier on LinkedIn. Although there's a lot of Greg Poirier's on LinkedIn um, and at least one person is doing B2B SaaS. So just make sure it's the Cloud Kettle Greg Poirier. That is too funny. Well, hey, you guys, if you guys enjoyed this podcast and you guys like what you hear, make sure you guys subscribe to the podcast. Greg, once again, hey, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule today. I appreciate it. And we'll be in contact soon. Okay. Thanks a lot. That was an eye opener, Greg. Companies need to strive for the right product market fit, but shouldn't lose heart if they haven't found it yet. This can be a blessing in disguise too, as you explained. It was great talking with you, Greg. I'm sure our listeners learned a lot from all the intel you've shared today. This marks the end of today's episode, but stay tuned to the Marketing Growth Podcast. We'll release new episodes every Monday and Wednesday.